Hello, and welcome to the Shaping Insights podcast presented by American Express, where we bring you expert perspectives on the latest trends in luxury industries. I'm Alex Fury, Fashion Features Director of Another Magazine and Men's Critic of the Financial Times, and I'll be your host for this episode. Today, I'm speaking with Kim Jones, the brilliant British Artistic Director of Dior Men, Trained at London's famed Central St. Martins, Kim was formerly men's artistic director at Louis Vuitton and creative director of Dunhill. In 2018, he became the head of menswear at the House of Dior, a role which led to him being named Menswear Designer of the Year at the 2019 Fashion Awards. His creativity, unique designs and pertinent insight into popular culture make him one of the most important menswear designers of his generation. Today, Kim will be offering insight into the role of creativity and innovation in the fashion industry and what interesting shifts he is seeing across the landscape. Welcome, Kim. Thank you very much. To begin, could you tell us a little bit about your journey in terms of your career and the steps that led to your role at Dior Men? I started out from Central St. Martins in 2001. I did a collection which was received very well and I started doing a few bits and pieces on my own. But I really wanted to have a role as a creative director. So I went to see Keith Warren, who was working at Louis Vuitton at the time, and he gave me a project to do for spring-summer 2002. And I saw the resources they had and what things they could create. And that was really how, over the years, I had my own label. I worked for various different companies behind the scenes, designing things from Hugo Boss to Iceberg to Umbro. And then I... um, got the role at um, Alfred Dunhill as creative director and that was my first foray into being a creative director but that's the role I really wanted. Went from there to Vitom very quickly and then to Dior after seven years at Vitom. So it, was it kind of the the resources and the possibilities that being the, a creative director at a luxury house offered you? Was that what really kind of enticed you, what excited you? Yeah, I mean, I'm interested in the history of a house and what it's got in the archives as well as creating things out of the best possible fabrications you can get and really reinterpreting the history and playing around with different ideas and, you know, seeing things in a global scope. And that, for me, is very interesting. I mean, I I always was attracted to houses. I don't know why, probably slightly glamorous. It's like just the resources were number one for me. I guess also there's the idea that the, the archives are a resource in a way, the idea that you have this history that you can look at, examine and kind of reinvent to make it feel modern and new. Yeah, I mean, it's like you see, you see things all the time. And when I go to the archive, I, I look, I'll take something. I don't go digging too far because I like to save things for later on. But it's like, um, you know, I'll then look at it and think about how it should be appropriated for today. I wondered what creative initiatives that you've been exploring during this time of isolation have affected your work? Um, You know, I had a pause when it started because I wanted to see what was going on. And, you know, everything was shut down. The factories are closed, the ateliers are closed, everything's shut. So we need to, you know, you need to stop and think about things. I know, you know, some people got into a scrambled having to work all the time and I don't think that was necessarily the right thing to do I think that's you know there was mistakes come out of stuff like that I think you know a situation that's completely new and out of your control you just have to sort of sit back watch and let go a bit and plan but I mean you know we've done three collections in lockdown so it's not like we've been sitting around it's just it's working remotely it's a weird you know it's it's I, 
I think I didn't go to a restaurant for four months. I've really been in proper lockdown because, you know, as your civil duty, it's kind of something that's your responsibility to be like that. And I guess also it's it shows you what is possible without necessarily physically being there, what can be done remotely, yeah. and conversely, what has to be done in person. No, absolutely. I mean, fittings essentially have to be done in person. Any sort of fabric choices have to be done in person. I can't let other people choose for me, obviously, because it's, um, you know, it's my eye that is the thing that gets the brand going. So I just, you know, it's kind of really important. But I just also, it's having time between things. When, you know, weeks go so fast in lockdown, it's very sort of important to be realistic about how fast things should be done. For the House and Dior and other similar brands, what unique opportunities do you feel lockdown has offered? You know, a time to be at home. You know, I'm on a plane or a train every week. It's like it's a rarity and I enjoy my own time. You know, I think a lot of people don't realise that a pause or a step back or a reflection on stuff is the most important thing you need in a creative role. You know, when you're doing, say, three collections in the same period, you know, if you don't stop and have a think about it, then, you know, it's just doesn't turn into anything creative it's just like you know ticking boxes and for me that's not how I work and I don't want to work it kind of makes you efficient as a creative as well as efficient in terms of kind of business wise yeah um what adaptations have you made to the design processes at Dior since you began how would you say you've evolved Dior I didn't want to do what either of their previous directors did because they you know they both work for LVMH and I don't think that brands within the same umbrella should cannibalise each other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I looked at things that worked for them and then we made our own versions of them. And then I so then I wanted to just create something that was very much starting to look at Dior at the beginning and also elements of what I'm interested in. I think there's also that feel of kind of evolving a lot of what they've done and making things that feel right for now, lightening up the tailoring, kind of combining different yeah. product categories. Just being modern in a way. But, you know, lightness is something that's really important in everything I do because in the last five years of being a designer, you see the shift in global weather patterns. So it's kind of really important to have things that people can buy all over the world at the same time and just being really realistic about stuff. In terms of lockdown, are there any changes that you've made to the way that you work during this period that you see as a positive shift, something you can see the House of Dior continuing with even when a sense of normality resumes? No, because we've stuck to our timetable. You're just carrying on as normal. I had to. You know, it's like, it's if not, we don't get things made. And, you know, I think it's very different to an organic company. It's not an organic company. It's, it's a structured company. So we're just carrying on as normal, but... You know, I question things. Mm. And that's valuable, I think, having yeah. someone within that, that's questioning. Yeah. And it, trying to change things if they need to be changed, I guess. Yeah. Um, how has technology been impactful to you and your team? What would you say are the major advancements you've been able to utilise? I mean, it's just, you know, actually working remotely is not the most impossible thing. It's, you know, as long as you're in, together as a unit in critical points in the timeline... I don't necessarily think that things need to be constantly on, you know, discussions online. It's like, you know, we look at the sales figures and we look at what's working and we're working out what to do next. And, you know, we've had a very successful time recently. So I just, you know, I look at, you know, globally what's happening and the customer's always number one. 
I think also in terms of technology, the interesting thing with what you do at Dior is is this combination of kind of very sort of age-old craft and new technologies, both in the way you communicate and also in the way you make clothes. There's this respect for the past, but not... I don't feel kind of an over-reverence for it. You don't fetishize. No, I mean, I just look at what's now, and it's like I think the collection we just did is a very unintentional statement of what the world is today. Mm -hmm. You've just shown digitally for the first time, but you've also staged shows for Dior Men in Miami, Tokyo, and large-scale productions in Paris. How do you see Fashion Week and the role of the fashion show evolving in the future? Um, I hope to carry on doing shows because what we do when there is a lot of craft and, and you know, and a huge amount of work done by ateliers, it would be sad if people couldn't see it in real. Because, you know, even if a few people see it in real, then they can pass that message on to other people. So for me, it's a very important thing to keep on doing fashion shows. But, you know, when, when it's safe to... I don't think it should be, you know, jumped into. I think that's why at the moment it's interesting because people are looking at how the fashion show can look in the future if it can't look the way it's been looking in the past. And it's certainly something you experimented with for the spring-summer 2021 show. It was very much about here are the possibilities for showing a fashion collection online. Yeah, I mean, I wanted it to be sensitive to the artist and I wanted it to be respectful of his work so I wanted to tell his story first which is what we did with Chris Cunningham which was brilliant and I'm really happy with it and then I wanted to show the emotion of the collection in terms of a moving you know I didn't want it to be a rework of a fashion show I wanted it to be a moving image so to speak so that's what Jackie Nicholson did. And I think with that documentary as well it really offered you the thing that is almost impossible to do otherwise, which is to give a, a, a real insight into the creative process, kind of the creative decision-making, yeah. really to kind of unpack it a little bit for everybody. Well, I think actually for that collection in these current climates, that was probably the most perfect way to show it. So, You've been one of the pioneers of limited edition drops and exclusive products in luxury. What do you think is the future for that type of merchandise? Well, I look at that kind of drops and it's like more of just like what customers we have though. You know, we have a very consistent customer base. Mm -hmm. At Vitor, we had it, at Dior, we have it. So it's looking at people that like to go shopping a lot and that's like one of their main hobbies or interests. So it's having things available to to have on the market. And, you know, the, to keep them excited. the two things I've done that are particularly selfish acts, which, you know, I love was like, one was the Supreme thing because Supreme is something I've worn since I was in my teens, and then also with the yeah, Dior thing, because Jordan 1 is my favourite shoe of all time. And so I wanted to do one, and I thought, why I don't want to do one with just my name on, I want to do one with Dior, because it's the first time a luxury house, which is the best at what it does, is working with a sportswear house, which is the best at what it does. I guess you also recognise that, in a sense, you're one of the Dior consumers as well. You're, you're the yeah, customer. Exactly. Yeah, no, I am. I'm not, I don't think about myself when I design... But when I do things like that, it's quite sort of, it's something I'd have liked to have seen. So that's where it comes from. And it's totally these different worlds as well. It's about colliding two things that you would never, you'd never expect to be kind of combined in that sort of way. Certainly not in a, in a luxury way. Yeah, exactly. You have one of the most powerful front rows in fashion. How important is celebrity for Dior men? What does celebrity help you as a artistic director to communicate um i'm not sure you know they're people that are friends of mine obviously you know people admire them 
And it's like, but you know, most of them are women that come and see my shows because they're my friends. But then, you know, I've got people like David, who was the first person I dressed at Dior. And, uh, you know, I love him. You know, he's a really good friend. And it's like, we just get on. And it's like that thing of where you click. And he really, you know, when you're doing fittings with him or when you're talking to him about clothes, he really understands them. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's just, you know, appreciation of people that I appreciate coming to the show more than anything else. It's like, I mean, celebrity seems to be very influential on young people, you know, but I just, you know, these are people I've known for quite a long time. It's not a strategy. No, it's not a strategy. It's just, you know, it's nice to, when you do something you're proud of doing, you want your friends to be there. Also, I guess there's a kind of, with a lot of them, there's a kindred spirit. I know with people you've met during your time at Dior, there's there's something that you feel akin with them in some kind of a way. It's, it never feels like it's a sort of empty celebrity. No, it's never, it's never forced. It's like, you know, we meet because we have something in common. And someone like Jay Balvin or Maluma, that, you know, we started talking on Instagram and it was just like, I like the fact of what they do and how I find it interesting how so super famous they are. And, you know, yeah, somewhere like in the UK, it's not so famous, but... I just love them as people. They're just really good people, actually, I have to say. And I think, you know, we talk about clothes and we talk about lots of different things and culture and architecture and all sorts of stuff. But, you know, you meet people along the way and it's like it's just interesting to to have these opportunities allow you to meet people you would never meet otherwise. It's one of the great things about fashion as well, I think, that it can unite people across these different yeah. disciplines. I mean, you know, it's only recently that I really, really thought that, well, what I do makes people very happy it gives them confidence wearing something. And I think that's a really important thing. It doesn't make it sound so superficial. Mm-hmm. And, you know, loads of people are very anti-fashion, but they're anti-fashion usually for a certain reason. So, you know, I think it's quite good. Going back a little bit to that conversation we had about collaborations, you've championed so many commercially successful and creatively powerful collaborations with different brands and also with artists. Why is the idea of collaboration important for you and what for you makes a good collaboration? Um, I think a a collaboration that isn't just looking like it's about making money, it's about the fact there's a story behind it that is genuine or, you know, it's done at a certain time. For me, one of the things I really loved doing was working with Sean Stucey. You know, I've worn his clothes since I was 14 and, you know, he left his company in 1997, but he started his company in 1980 and so we happened to do it for a collection that comes out in 2020 so it's 40 years and it was really taking his work as an artist because the one thing about all the artists I love is they all have a very confident line in the way they paint or draw and he has exactly the same thing so for me he's an artist. And finally my final question what do you feel the fashion houses of the future will look like? Um... I just think, you know, I think things will get more streamlined. And I think the one thing that's really important is to make sure the craft remains, you know, because it's like, you know, we recently, you know, the head of Artillier Annie, she retired and she'd been working for 40 years and she'd worked for San Laurent and everyone. And it's like her craft being passed down is very important. And so, you know, skills and mindsets. And it's like anyone that comes into my studio that's even a work experience or anything, you know, I want to know what they're into. I talk to them, I get them involved in the process, I'll ask them questions and, you know, I want to know because it's like, I think it's a, you know, a back and forth between people and I think that's the thing that makes things work. Kim, thank you so much for sharing your insights on the Shaping Insights podcast. It has been fascinating listening to your points of view on the industry and what may be ahead. 
It's been a pleasure listening to you and thank you again for joining us. Thank you. We very much hope you enjoyed this Shaping Insights podcast presented by American Express. Don't do business without it.